Redemption Church. It's so good to be with you guys today. Like Ethan was saying, man, I just got a chance to meet him and your pastor a couple weeks ago in Philadelphia. One of the things I was super encouraged by is, uh, you know, you guys have an awesome pastor, obviously knows what he's doing. This is an awesome church. But just to see him going up to Philadelphia and sitting with other pastors and allowing himself to be ministered to and poured into, that takes a lot of humility for a pastor to do. A lot of times when pastors get together, they just want to like show off. And I watched him sit down and, and listen and receive and be poured into. And that is so encouraging for me just to see that spirit of humility that's on him and to hear his heart for the city of Beaumont and for this church. Your pastor loves you guys. He's excited about what God is doing here. And I'm super excited to get to know him a little bit better as the future goes on. Can we just give it up for your pastor and for his wife and their kids? These awesome people. It's a good church, man. I'm excited to be here. I had a great time at first service, but I heard a rumor that second service is even better. Uh, and we're not live streamed, so I could say that without getting in trouble with the people that I just made friends with in first service. But I already like you guys better. You guys are more excited. I believe you get out of church what you put into it, so I believe you guys show up excited today. If you guys are shouting amen, you're not going to scare me away, okay? Uh, I love it. I actually preach more passionate when you guys get passionate too. A little bit about myself. My name is Daniel. Uh, I, I grew up overseas as a missionary for most of my life and then uh, moved to Florida several years ago. I was pastoring down there for several years, and then now we moved to the Houston metro area to plant a church, which we'll be launching in January of 2024, so please be praying for us. Uh, I've got... Uh, I got a picture of my family. Actually, I'm going to show it to you guys. And the reason why I'm going to do that is because statistically, you guys are more likely to like me if I show you a picture of my family. So a <laughs> little soft manipulation to start the message off with. But that's my beautiful wife, Ashley. She'll be coming with my kids to the last service today uh, because they cannot sit still for anything. Uh, that's my oldest son, Roman. My second son, uh, Micaiah. And then over there is the reason why we don't have four children. That's Titus. Um, <laughs> And if you see that pose that he's striking, that's pretty much him just nonstop. He is a bundle of energy and a really good contraception. So I am very thankful for all of my children today. We've got a wonderful family, and I'm excited for them to be here in the later service. But we're going to jump into the message. And Pastor Byron said, you guys are going through the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts because our name, Momentum Church, actually comes from the book of Acts. Uh, my favorite Bible verse is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. I believe that God didn't design us to be stationary. I believe that God designed us to be witnesses, and he gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us to fulfill the work of the ministry. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we start in Jerusalem, Judea, and then we reach the ends of the earth. It starts small, but it gets big. It starts with one service, and then it moves to four. It starts in this building, and then you buy the buildings around you, and all of a sudden, some momentum starts to find you because the Holy Spirit is upon you. I believe the same thing is true for Redemption Church in Jesus' name. But Pastor Byron, and asked me to preach out of Acts chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it up. And I know you guys go through books of the Bible. We're actually going to go verse by verse today because I believe the Word of God is so alive that you can go sentence by sentence and pull out gold this morning. So if you're taking notes, feel free to take notes today. But the question that Pastor Byron asked me to answer through this message this morning is, do miracles happen today? It reminded me of a story of uh, when I was pastoring in Florida, there was a young boy named Anthony. Now, Anthony was a 10, when I met him, he was a 10-year-old uh, boy that was born in Puerto Rico and raised in New York City. And somehow he had managed to amalgamate all the energies of both of those cultures into one tiny 10-year-old body, okay? This is a boy that was boisterous. This is a boy that was excited. This is a boy that was loud. He was raised in Brooklyn, but born in Puerto Rico. And anybody ever meet a Puerto Rican person, man, they know how to have fun and they are not quiet people. Um, and Anthony was not an exception to that. Everywhere Anthony knew, went, you knew who Anthony was. And I remember Anthony came to me, he was 10 years old, uh, his, his little prepubescent voice, and he came up to me, he's like, Pastor Daniel, one day I'm gonna lead the worship team and I'm gonna sing on the stage. And I was like, all right, we gotta work on that voice first, buddy. <laughs> and as time went on, he was just so driven and so dedicated to it. And he started working on singing. And before long, we started realizing this is actually a boy with some serious talent. And he started singing on the worship team. And let me tell you, every time Anthony ever sang, like people would respond. They loved listening to Anthony sing. He had an amazing voice. And he, anytime we got a chance, we'd put him up on that worship team. And his very favorite song to sing in the world was a song called Mary, Did You Know? It was a Christmas song. I just want to show you a really brief clip so you can have context of who Anthony was. If you guys could throw that up on the screen. Mary, did you know? Your baby boy would one day walk on water. Mary, did you know your baby boy 
would save our sons and daughters. Did you know? Did your baby boy? Man, I would just love to make love listening to Anthony sing. Did you know? I would just love listening to it, man. Any chance I got, and everybody loved Anthony. Just an incredible personality, an incredible heart, an incredible kid. But Anthony struggled with some mental health issues. And he would go through these mental health issues. And when he did, he would, he would reach these places where he would kind of reach these moments when it got really bad where he would kind of just snap. And in one of his low moments with his mental health, he pulled out a gun and tried to take his own life. And he did it in front of his family. He put the gun to his head and he pulled the trigger. And he fell to the ground. His family called the emergency responders, they came, they picked up Anthony, took him to the hospital. When he got to the hospital, they immediately hooked him up to machines and they said, we're sorry to tell you, but Anthony is brain dead. He's, there's no brain activity. Uh, he's hooked up to the machines. We're keeping him alive. But now is the time that you want to start calling people and letting people know that they need to come in and say their goodbyes because we're going to have to pull him off the machines. This is not a, a viable option for us to keep him alive or keep him plugged into these machines. It's not, not kind for him. It's not kind for the family. So start calling people, get people to come and say goodbyes. And the family was devastated. This was a young man, so full of life and vitality and just a wonderful, amazing, fill the room with a personality kind of kid. And I remember them saying, can you just stay in the room with people and just, just make sure that people come and say their goodbyes? Because I mean, everybody loved Anthony. So this was not going to be a short experience. When they put the word out there that Anthony's in the hospital, if you want to come and say your goodbyes, please do. And I remember standing in the room and it was just a never ending scene of people that were coming in to say their goodbyes to Anthony. And they were coming in and, and telling him what he meant to them and, and how important he was and how much they would miss him. And they were saying their goodbyes. And I remember just standing in that room looking at Anthony and watching all these people say goodbye. And I remember asking myself a similar question. Can a miracle happen in this room? Can a miracle happen for Anthony? So today, as we open up the book of Acts to Acts chapter 3, this is the question that I want us to ask ourselves. And if you want to see a miracle, there's some things you got to do. So if you're taking notes, you might want to start writing these down. The first thing you got to do if you want a miracle is you got to pray for miracles. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, pray for miracles. Pray for miracles. We, we start off our story in the book of Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, which was the ninth hour. See, the Bible tells us that they were on their way to pray. They're on their way to pray. I want to let you know something this morning, church. If we don't start with prayer, we're never going to arrive at power. If we don't start with prayer, we're never going to arrive at power. Every road to a miracle is paved with prayer. Every move of God originates on the knees of the saints. The miraculous is realized when prayer is prioritized. We don't ever just arrive at the miraculous without first getting on our knees and asking God to do something. Are you with me, church? It doesn't just happen. We have to start praying for it. We have to start preparing for it. We have to start getting ready for what's God, what God's gonna do. And if you're believing God for something this morning, I wanna encourage you to just start praying for it. I wanna encourage you to start moving towards prayer, to start heading towards a place of prayer. Don't just stay where you are and expect God to come to you. Start moving towards him. Start posturing your heart towards him and towards his purpose by praying for what God can do do. And devout Jews knew this. Devout Jews prayed three times a day, three times, and they would go to the temple to pray. And, and, and I think that, that I think for us in American culture, like we're just, we're used to things coming a little easier, aren't we? Like we're used to just bending over and plugging something into an outlet and accomplishing something that previous generations would take all day to accomplish. And all we got to do is just plug into power. But every generation before your time used to have to prepare for power. They used to have to prepare for things. They would have to go down. The, the, the clothes that you put in the washer that you are so frustrated take so much effort. Previous generations, I grew up in an island in a culture where people had to carry their washing down to the river and wash things in the river and then carry everything back. They would carry water back home and we have immediate access to power where previous generations did not. And I think we've lost the ability to prepare for power. Jews would go and pray three times a day. I wonder what would happen if we brought three times a day prayer back into our life. Are you with me, church? 
They, they prayed three times a day, and the Bible says that this was their ninth hour. So that means that for these guys today, this was their third time of praying that day. And I think that that's significant because when you actually look at the number three in the Bible, the number three, it actually stands for something. It's not just a number. It stands for a perfect completion. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, you were perfectly completed. Now turn to your other neighbor this morning and say, you're all right. Some of y'all did that, and that is not godly. Shame on you. I'm telling you a pastor on there. See, three is the number of perfect completion. See, humans, we're interested in completion, but God is interested in perfection. Are you with me? This is a microwave generation. How many guys grew up a microwave baby? You know, not that you were put in the microwave, but you, that got dark. Cut that from the live stream. But you grew up with like your family just used the microwave for anything. I remember when I met my wife's family, like I grew up like, I grew up on Hot Pockets, y'all. You put that thing in for five minutes, bing, hot pocket, you know, like dinner served. And then I met my wife's family. I was like, you use the oven for more than just storing pans? That cooks? And then I remember eating my, my in-law's food and I was like, this is, a, it doesn't taste like rubber. Why? Because they were not interested in completion. They were interested in perfection. And I want to let you know, we don't serve a microwave God. We don't serve a God that's just trying to get it done. Hot pocket. We serve a God that wants it to be good. We serve a God that wants it to be perfected. We serve a God that wants to give you something that is better than anything that you could achieve or receive on your own this morning. You've got to stay consistent in prayer if you want to reach the completion of his perfection. Don't lose your hope just because you haven't seen an answer or the third hour or the sixth because you ain't even seen the ninth hour yet. You haven't even hit the third time of praying in the day yet. God is in the process of perfecting what he will complete. They were on their way to a prayer meeting. This is the third one of the day. Guys, this is routine. This is routine. This is ordinary. This is, there's nothing different about this. How is the third prayer of the day different than the first or the second? And every day before that, see, sometimes I think we romanticize the purpose of God. We come into certain contexts with expectancy. We go into a conference expecting something, don't we? <sighs> Jensen Franklin's preaching this week. Are you with me? Insert, Stephen Furtick's going to be there. Oh, my gosh. Furtick. I just got a word today while I was watching YouTube and and Pastor Judah Smith just deposit. You, 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 it's, it's not that he has something to offer that Pastor Byron doesn't. It's just the spirit of expectancy you come. And you come to your pastor or your church with complacency. And you go to elevation with a spirit of expectancy. What if you came to redemption with the same spirit of expectancy that you went to elevation with? Could the same God that speaks to you through the guy on YouTube actually speak through the shepherd that he put into your life? I don't know if that's possible. That's just me thinking out loud. But I think... That if you showed up expecting the routine to be extraordinary, that God might show up in your everyday life. That's just me, though. I think that God often does the most extraordinary things in the most ordinary places at the most unexpected times. That's how God works. You never know when God's going to show up when you're just being faithful in the little things. You guys have a monthly prayer meeting here every single month. What if you just determined that when you showed up at that prayer meeting, that was going to be uh, an extraordinary experience? What if you just said, God, I'm just going to show up like I always do. I'm going to show up not just to the first hour or the second hour, but I'm going to show up to the third hour. I'm going to keep on coming. And God, I'm going to believe that every single time that I show up, you're going to be as faithful to me here as you were there. I believe that every single time I open my Bible to 
to read. It's not just me crossing something off my list today. I believe every time I open the holy and inspired word of God, you're going to speak through it because it's alive and it's active and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. I believe that you're going to do something right here, right now. What if you expanded your expectancy to encompass every avenue? Because the same God that shows up at the conference can show up in the cafeteria. The same God that shows up in the cathedral can show up in the coffee shop. What if you walked into Walmart and said, God, give me a divine encounter in this hell on earth, God? What if you showed up and said, God, I need you to speak in this context. God, I'm in my workplace and these people are crazy and they drive me insane, but I believe that you're going to use me as a light in the darkness and my office is going to change because of who you are in me. This is an ordinary situation, but an extraordinary God. It's an ordinary day. It's an ordinary time, but it's not an ordinary God. And what was once just a house of prayer can also become a house of miracles if you show up to the place of prayer expecting God to do the miraculous. Come on, somebody. It's not ordinary when God's involved, church. Verse 2. That was one verse, you guys. Come on, verse 2. It says, a man that was lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that's called the beautiful gate, to ask for alms of those that were entering the temple. They laid him at the gate to the temple. They laid him at the gate to the temple. They've done this his whole life. They'd done this his whole life. This man who was lame from birth, they laid him at the gate of the temple. This is the gate that people pass through every day to go to prayer. And I wonder if somebody ever stopped to pray for him before the story that we're about to get into. Think about it. Every day, they're going to the prayer meeting. Going to the prayer meeting. Oh, there's the beggar. Every day, they're going to the prayer meeting. Oh, that would be awful. Every day they're going to the prayer meeting and they're seeing this guy. They're asking for money. And I wonder, the Bible doesn't tell us. This is just conjecture. I'm not trying to put something into scripture. I'm just asking a question. Did anybody ever stop and pray for this guy before? The Bible doesn't tell us that anyone did. And I wonder if I can ask us a a question. This is just a heavy question. So bear with me. This is not me trying to, to be judgmental or anything. But I want us to ask this of ourselves. How many supernatural opportunities are you walking by every day because you're just praying for your own needs instead of someone else's? When I drove in here today, I was looking at, at Beaumont. I've never been to the city before. I've driven on I-10 and I just went, bye, you know, but I drove into the city today and I'm driving around and there's a lot of need here. I don't know this city, but I drove in here. I was like, oh, this is a good place for a church. Amen. Does not look like the city I'm in. There's some good needs that God can meet. And I wonder how many times we walk into the door of the church and we walk by the person stumbling out of the bar as you're getting into service in the morning and they don't even know where their car keys are and they're gonna try and drive home all wrecked and you walk in and you're like, oh man, I remember when I used to be that way, but thank God I found Jesus and I'm not like that person anymore. What if instead of you walking by that person, what if you started praying for that person? What if instead of you just thinking, I need to get in here so I can check my kids in the kids' church so they can stop driving me crazy? What if you stop for a second and say, how can I reach that person? Let me get them and bring them into church with me. Let me help the person that's struggling along. Let me help the person that is not as far along as I am when I see a need. Let me not just walk by it because I'm so conscious of my needs. Let me stop and pray for your needs too. Sometimes we're content to carry people that we've never considered praying for. They carried him and dropped him off at the gates. How many times did they carry him? Did somebody at some point consider maybe we should pray for them? How many people in your church that are sitting next to you are you carrying? You're content to carry them, but you're not content to pray. I want to let you know, a lot of times in church, we're more content to carry than we are to pray for people. Are you with me? We're content to give them advice. No, honey, that's not how you want to be raising your kids. When was the last time you prayed for their kids? Because don't be giving them advice on how to raise their children if you haven't even given the time to pray for their children. Are you with me, church? Don't be trying to speak into somebody's life and tell them how to live when you're not even willing to hit your knees for them when nobody's watching you. You'll greet somebody that you would never pray for. 
as they walk in the church? As you're worshiping from the the stage, are you praying for the people that you're leading into worship? We've got to be praying for people, not just walking by them. If you want to see a miracle, you got to pray for a miracle. I remember when Anthony was in the hospital. He's in the hospital. We're talking to these doctors, and I'm standing in there, and I'm hearing them tell this story about how everyone needs to come and say goodbye. And I'm watching all these Christians, all these good believers, they're coming in to say goodbye to a child that they haven't even considered praying for. And I was like, man, what if, what if? What if instead of just coming and saying goodbye and carrying him to the graveyard, what if we just started praying? I wasn't the only one that thought that. I'm not like a champion or anything. People started talking, man, what if we prayed for him? What if we started praying? So we started praying for Anthony. And let me tell you, man, we started praying for Anthony. I didn't know what to pray for. You ever get to that place where you're so desperate, like you don't even know what you're praying for? You're like, God, I don't know if you're supposed to heal him here or in eternity, but we're praying for you to move. I don't know if the answer is for us to unplug him and release him to be with you, but whatever the answer is, you know what it is, but I'm at a loss. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to ask for. All I know is I just need to pray. I don't know what a miracle looks like, but I'm praying for one. Number two, the second thing you need to do if you want to see a miracle is you got to ask for miracles. Ask for miracles. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, ask for a miracle. Verse 3, it says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, the beggar asked to receive alms. Here's the interesting thing I was thinking about as I was preparing for this message. This man was sat at the beautiful gate on the way to the temple, and people had to pass him on their way to prayer, which they did multiple times per day, and every good Jewish man would do this regularly. There had to have been a point when Jesus walked by him. There had to have been. It just, I, I don't see a way that it was impossible for Jesus to walk by him. So if Jesus had to have passed by him at some point, but he didn't receive a healing, could it be because he never asked Jesus for anything? Could it be that when Jesus walked by, maybe he just kept his cup to himself because I've heard about this guy. I, cu- I couldn't be healed. I've watched him heal other people, but he couldn't heal me. This is not in the Bible. This is me asking questions. I'm going to do a little bit of that today. I'm not trying to put something in the Bible that's not in the Bible. I'm asking these questions because this is how my brain works, and welcome in my brain. Could it be that he never asked Jesus for anything? You know, James chapter 4, verse 2 says, you have not because you ask not. That means that there are things that will happen that would not happen if you didn't pray. You have not because you ask not. That means that the God of the universe invites you into his cosmic process. And he can cause things to happen that wouldn't happen if you didn't pray. That's what that verse means. What if this guy asked Jesus to heal him? Wayne Gretzky once said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I believe the same thing applies to our prayers and petitions to God. You will miss 100% of the miracles that you aren't asking God for. You will miss 100% of the miracles you're asking God for. A lot of times we go to God and we're praying, but we're not asking for anything, are we? We're just venting upward, right? God, I just can't believe the way that they treated me. God, I can't stand it, God. I hate it. God, why does this keep happening to me? And God's up there like, you want to ask me something? You ever get those phone calls with somebody? They're like, I don't want to talk. I just want to vent. Anybody? And then you're sitting there and it's like, blah, 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 blah. And you're just like, do you want help? Or do you just want to complain? A lot of our prayers to God are actually just complaints and not petitions. Maybe it was that. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe, maybe God actually, maybe, maybe, that, maybe it's not that. Maybe he did ask Jesus for, for healing. But I mean, I don't think he asked Jesus for healing because there was never a person in the Bible that I could find that went to Jesus and asked Jesus for healing and Jesus didn't heal them. So I don't think he asked Jesus for healing, but maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's something else. Maybe, maybe God allowed him to wait for a miracle because his miracle mattered for more than just him. 
You know, Pastor Byron's been saying a lot through the course of this series that the miracle confirms the message. So could it be that the testimony of the miracle meant more than the miracle itself? Let that sink in with whatever you're going to God for. Could it be that maybe the reason why God has you waiting is because it's more about the testimony of what God's about to do than you just getting what you're asking for? Maybe you're waiting for a miracle right now. I just want to encourage you to make like journey and don't stop believing, you guys. <laughs> don't stop believing. I'm not even going to try to hit those notes, but don't stop believing. Don't, don't, stop, don't settle in. Don't just settle in. But this, is, this is what it is. This is what it is. Yeah, the, I don't know this, but it kind of seems like that's what happened to this beggar, right? He was called the beggar at the beautiful gate. He was called the beggar at the beautiful gate. That was, that was how people identified him. We don't know his name, but we know his condition. That means his identity was wrapped up in his infirmity. And for a lot of us, this becomes how people experience us. We are an ugly story at a beautiful gate. Yeah, I'm in a great church where life is happening, where miracles are taking place, where they believe in miracles, but my marriage is jacked up and people know me as a person with a jacked up marriage. Yeah, I know that I've got my health. I know that I've got my family, but I'm just, I'm just really upset at how my parents treated me as I was growing up. And so I'm just going to walk around wounded for the rest of my life. Yeah, I know this is a great place like a plug in and serve, but somebody offended me here once, so I'm just gonna walk around and you're gonna know me as the offended person at redemption because I'm not gonna allow redemption to settle into my offense. It's got an ugly story at a beautiful gate. You're at a beautiful church, you got a beautiful family, you got a beautiful wife, you got beautiful kids, but you're just walking around and all we know you by is your ugly story because your identity is wrapped up your infirmity. Sometimes we just get so settled in to our situation or to our, our crisis that the things that we become so accustomed to are the very things that God's actually trying to deliver us from. You just get so settled in. And the thing you're holding on to so tight and you're wrapping around yourself is the thing God's trying to set you free from. You are known as the person that struggles with depression and you have wrapped that around you like a blanket so tight and it's how people identify you that God can't even set you free from your depression because you don't know who you are outside of your circumstance. And God's trying to set you free, but you won't let go. There's a verse where Jesus goes up to somebody and he says, do you want to be healed? Why? Because I'm a beggar. I make my living by being crippled. Do you want to be healed? Because if you want to be healed, your identity changes. Your occupations change. Your relationships change. Your environment changes. I'm an alcoholic. Do you want to be sober? Do you want to be sober? I'm a drug addict. Do you want to be clean? Do you want to be clean? I'm an adulterer. Do you want to be pure? Do you want to be pure? Because if you do, that means turning away. Turning away. Changing. You are not who you were. The old things are gone away and everything becomes new. We end up building our lives around a brokenness that God intended to make whole. And we become so attached to the natural that we can miss out on the miraculous. you got to ask for a miracle and be specific. We found ourselves doing this with Anthony. We started asking. We were praying. We were at that point. We didn't know what to pray for. We were just praying. We were just shooting up prayers to heaven and just hoping, God, whatever. I don't know what healing looks like. Maybe it means in heaven. And then we started realizing, like, man, we need to go to God believing for something more than the ambiguous. We started to have to get very specific. And so we started praying. What is the thing that we all in our souls wanted to see again? We knew that Anthony loved singing more than anything else. So we started praying specifically for that and nothing else. Because sometimes we're just praying like, God, heal him. What does that mean? What does that mean? So we started praying specifically, God, he is going to be on that stage at church and he is going to sing again. And we will not stop praying. We will not stop believing until that happens. Now, that's not to say that, listen, if God has a different plan and God's purpose is to bring healing in heaven, I want to align my desires with God's purpose. But I'm going to believe while I can believe. And I'm going to ask for what I can ask for and hope and pray and believe that God's going to show up in the way that I'm asking for. And we started praying, God, let Anthony sing again. And we would tell the doctors and the doctors were like, you don't understand. He is a vegetable 
soul. There is no brain activity. You guys can pray as much as you want, but it's not going to change anything. And we just started praying. And I'm telling you, we started having prayer meetings inside the hospital. We started having prayer meetings so much to a point where the hospital was inventing policies to be able to contain how many people were showing up. I'm not talking about two or three or four. I'm talking about the parking lot filled with hundreds of people praying for Anthony, worshiping God and singing. And we would pray, God, we want to see him sing again. You've got to ask for a miracle if you want to see a miracle. My third thing this morning is you've got to expect miracles. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, I'm expecting a miracle. Verse 4 says this, and Peter directed his gaze at the beggar, as did John, and said, look at us. Turn to your neighbor this morning and say, look at me. I'm the captain now. Look at me. Why did he say, look at me? I don't understand. Why did he say, look at me? Because if you want to experience the miraculous, you've got to raise your gaze. You've got to get your eyes off your crisis and fix them on the cross. There's a song that we used to sing when I was growing up in church. You guys remember the song? If you know, sing it out with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When I turn my eyes upon Jesus, all of a sudden it's like looking at the sun and everything else as I look, my eyes, my vision begins adjusting to his brilliance. It begins adjusting to his light. And as I look up, I'm aware that there are people sitting in this room, but I can't see you as good as I could when I was looking at you because my eyes have adjusted to the light and not to the darkness. And as I look at Jesus, I'm aware that I got problems. I'm aware that I got sickness. I'm aware that I got bills. But all of a sudden, I know that they're out there. But all I can see is him. And all I can see is his glory. And all I can see is his goodness. And everything else in the world grows strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I'm aware that this is a broken world. But all that I can see is who he is and what he's done. And sometimes, church, you're so focused on your problem that you've missed out that there is a sin that lives above your problem and reigns over all. And if I could just look up and see him, all of a sudden, my mental place is changed. It's hard to have faith when all you see is the fall. But oh, when you look at the author and the finisher of your faith, you are writing my story and you're writing the ending. I might not like the chapter, but I know what the last page looks like. It ends with you in glory. I might not like this sentence, but I know the paragraph's about to turn around because the author of my faith is a perfect author. Look at me. It says, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them, expecting to receive something. What do you think this beggar was expecting to receive? Can anybody take a wild guess? Money. He was looking for some cheddar. He was looking for some Benjis, you know what I'm saying? He looked, think, think about that, put it in this perspective. He was looking at two men of God with the power of the God of the universe inside of them available to them, had a finger on the pulse of the miraculous, and he's asking them for coins. I got a thought for you. What if what you're expecting is not as good as what God wants to give you? Here's another thought this morning. If God simply met your expectations, would it even be miraculous? Would it even be a miracle? Sometimes I think the problem with our faith is that we're believing too small. One of my favorite movies is Inception. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that, but they're in this dream world and they can literally manifest things into their hands by dreaming about them. And they get in a gun battle. One guy dreams of like a handgun. He's like, pew, 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 pew. And then another guy comes out with a bazooka and he shoots the bazooka and he smiles and looks at the other guy and says, dream a bit bigger, darling. <laughs> like sometimes that's just the way we're dreaming with God. We got to dream a bit bigger, darling. We got to dream a bit bigger, darling. Some of you have been struggling so long that you've actually adjusted your expectations 
to a level that falls short of heaven. And sometimes God isn't giving you what you're expecting because, to be honest, what you're expecting is just beneath him. He isn't the God of what's expected. Church. He isn't the God of the expected. He is the God of exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything I could ask for. Anything I could hope for, anything I could dream for, anything I could imagine, anything I could conceptualize, anything. He is the God of, I'm talking pressed down, shaken together, and running over. He is the God of more than enough. He is not the God of victory. He is the God of overwhelming victory. He is the same God that that spoke the earth into existence. This is not the God of the small. This is not the God of the feeble. This is not the God of the possible. This is the God of the impossible. This is the God of the underdog. This is the God of the heaven's armies. This is the God of the universe. This is who we serve. What if you came to God expecting him to exceed your expectations? What if you just change what you're expecting for, church? See, getting what this cripple expected wouldn't have changed his situation. It would have been a guarantee that he would stay dependent. See, I'm not looking for my circumstances change. I'm just looking to be be able to be enabled to stay in my circumstance. A lot of times that's what we're looking for with God. God, just give me enough to get me through the day. Just another dollar, Lord. Dollar's not going to fix it. Christ didn't come so that the cripple could stay crippled and the captive could stay captive. And I want to tell you this morning, church, you've got to change your expectations because if you only expect what you've always expected, you'll only receive what you've always had. You've got to get to a point where you are sick and tired of what you've always had if you want to see a miracle. God, I am done going through arguments with my spouse and getting to a point where we say it's fine just to argue again tomorrow. I need a breakthrough in my marriage. I need this to change because we are limping through life on good enough and I need the God of more than good enough to show up and do what only he can do. The Bible is full of people who came to God with lower expectations than what was possible, but the Bible is void of people who were able to out-expect God's power. There is nobody in the Bible that ever came to God asking God for something, and God was like, "Mm, can't do that. That's a bit beyond my reach. There's nobody in the Bible that was able to out-expect God. You're coming to God expecting bread only to find out he's the bread of life. You're coming to God and you're just begging for a cup of water instead of realizing that he is the living water. And if you drink from him, you'll never be thirsty again. God's not interested in putting a coin in your cup when he could put a miracle in your mouth. And what if... The miracle that God's about to do is in order to align your expectation with his provisions. What if the miracle that God is about to do is in order to align your expectation with his provisions? See, a lot of times we're not seeing miracles because our expectations are out of alignment with God's provisions. Are you with me? What if what you're asking God for, he's actually trying to prepare you for to move it in alignment with what he has for you. God, this is what I want for my kids. I want my kids to be successful. I want them to have a good career. And then you start realizing, man, oh, all that stuff is just, it's just gonna turn to ash at the end. God, I want my kids to love you and serve you with all of their heart. And whatever they do career-wise is not as relevant as their spiritual condition. God, would you have them have a heart that is after you and the things of God more than anything else? I could care less what their GPA is as long as I know who their savior is. And all of a sudden, the expectations start to align with God's provision. And all of a sudden, you start to see more miracles because you're not asking God for things that are not a part of his purpose in your life, but you are aligning your requests with God's plans. (laughs) 
What if you just came to God expecting more? What, if, what would your church look like if you just came expecting more? I remember one time God spoke to me and God told me to quit my job. I had my dream job. God told me, quit, quit your job and go volunteer at your church. Go work at your church. And I went to my pastor and I told him that. He's like, well, you didn't hear from God because we can't afford to pay you. Go get your job back. I was like, God didn't say that you would pay me. God told me to quit my job and work for the church. I don't know what that means, but that's what God told me to do. So that's what I'm going to do. And I did that. And a lot of times I, your expectations would be that God just miraculously keeps your bank account full of money. But that wasn't what happened. And I remember, I was a good saver. I remember watching like years of savings just dwindle down. And I remember one time I was sitting at my dining room table and I spread out my bills. I had $600 of bills and I had $200 to my name and I spread out my bills on the table and I said, God, I don't have money to pay my bills, so you're gonna do it because you told me to quit my job and to go and work for the church and I did what you told me to do. So I'm not paying these bills. I'm expecting you to. So I'm gonna fill out these checks and I'm going to put the checks in the mail, and I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm expecting you to pay them because I don't believe that you want my checks to bounce and my power to get turned off. So that's what I'm going to do. And so I filled out the checks for $600, and I got $200 in my bank account, and I can do math. And I took them to my mailbox. I opened up my mailbox. I put them in. I saw that there was a piece of mail in. I took the mail out, closed up the mailbox. This is an absolutely true story. You can ask my wife when she comes at the last service. I opened up the card, and inside the card was a letter from my grandpa, who only talks to me at my birthday, by the way. And he said, Daniel, I know that you and Ashley are expecting your first kid, and I just had a CD account close out, and I don't need the money. Here's $12,000. I tell you what, I turned into Medea and my mailbox. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Oh! I was so excited, let me tell you, because I expected God to move. Now, will this happen for you? I don't know. That's between you and God. Don't try this at home. This is not a prescription. It is a description of what happened to me. So if you get evicted, that's on you. This is what God did in my life. <laughs> Just expect something different. Verse 6 says, but Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. I don't have money, but what I do have. I want to encourage you today. Don't get discouraged just because you don't have what the world is asking for. Be encouraged because you do have who they need. Our church, we can't, we can't do the missions initiative that we want. We can't, it doesn't matter. You've got the answer. Give them who they need. It says they raised him up. This is a man that could not walk. He had been dependent on other people to lift him up his whole life. Here's the problem with other people, church, is that they can pick you up for a little while, but eventually they'll put you back down again. They will. I don't care how good they are. Eventually they will tire and grow weary. It's funny, Pastor Byron asked me to preach out of Acts chapter 3, which is about a crippled man. And then on Thursday of this week, I was moving some heavy stuff, and I heard a pop come from my calf muscle. I severely tore my calf muscle. I'm like, how ironic. I'm preaching about a crippled man and I can't walk. <laughs> but as I've been going through the week, I've been really leaning on my wife because, and I'm going to tell you right now, I believe God's doing a miracle on my leg because when, if you guys saw me walk in this morning, I was hobbling. And now I'm actually like, I'm getting around pretty good because your prayer team prayed for me right before service. And I'm telling you, I'm probably like 50, 60% better than I was this morning. It's not all the way good, but I feel a marked difference in my leg. <laughs> that hurts, but I can walk around. But I've been leaning on my wife this week. I'm believing God for total healing by the end. I've got four services. God's just working progressively so the miracle can be perfected. You know what I was saying earlier? <laughs> but my wife, I keep on getting past my point. My wife has been helping me out this week, and I am heavier than my wife. And she can help me for a little while, but like our walk from our apartment to our parking garage is pretty far. And there reaches a point where she's like, I need to take a break. Why? Because she cannot carry me all the way. That's the problem with people. Even the best intentions, they can only carry you so far. When we wait on others, we live in dependency on them. But those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will walk and not grow weary. They will run and not faint. If your hope for a hand up is in man, you're gonna remain hopeless without their hands. But if your hope for a hand up is Jesus, you'll never need another hand for the rest of your life. 
People can carry you through your brokenness, but Jesus can heal you of your brokenness. That is the God that I serve when you come to him expecting a miracle. And that's what we did with Anthony. We started expecting a miracle. We refused to expect what the doctors told us to expect. We are asking for God to get him to sing again. And I remember standing with a doctor as he held up an x-ray and said, sir, this is Anthony's brain. Do you see this gray matter in the back of the x-ray? That is the back part of his brain. You see this darkness on the front side of his skull. That is where his frontal lobe used to be. His frontal lobe is gone. There's nothing there. Your frontal lobe controls your memories. It controls your voluntary movements. It controls your expressions. It controls your personality. It controls everything that makes you, you. You can survive on a machine without your frontal lobe, but you will never be able to sing, to express, to remember, or to move again. This young man will be a vegetable for the rest of your life, and I want to give you realistic expectations. And I'm like, you know what? I appreciate you trying to give me realistic expectations, but I didn't go to God with a realistic request in the first place. I came to God with some audacious faith. I came to God believing for something that is impossible, because if it was possible, I could get by with you, but I can't get by with you because it's impossible. So I'm just going to ask the one who can do it to show up and to do something that you can't do. That's what I'm believing for. And we expected God to move. And every time a doctor tried to set my expectations, I would just align them with God's potential. The final point this morning is when you experience a miracle, you've got to shout a miracle. It says in verse 8, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one that sounded at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is what God can do. This is what God did in the book of Acts. And this is what God can do in your life. And I have a question for you this morning. Who needs to hear about your miracle? They walked out leaping (coughs) and praising God because of what God did. Your miracle can be a catalyst for someone else's encounter, church. Your miracle can be a catalyst for someone else's encounter. The Bible says that we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That means who God is and what he's done. And I can't tell you how many times in my life I have overcome by shouting the miracles that God has done for me. I was born with an umbilical cord wrapped around my neck and I was dead when I was born and God resuscitated me and the child who should not be alive is here today. I cut my wrist open playing as a child and the doctor said I should have bled out, but God kept me alive. I was in a motorcycle accident in India without a helmet on. I flew into oncoming traffic going 45 miles an hour, landed on my head, got this sweet scar, but the traffic in the oncoming lane parted around me. I landed on my head and I got up and walked away and I was not hit by another vehicle because I serve a good God. This is who I serve. And I can't tell you with my family, as we're planting a church, I don't have a job right now. I am waiting to plant a church. It is expensive. And I can't tell you how many times I step out of my body and I go back to my dining room table back in Florida with the bills spread out in front of me. And I say, if God did it then, he can do it here. If God did it once, he can do it again. Won't he do it? The miracle is momentum for the message. Every single time God shows up and shows out, it's got to translate into fuel being dumped on your faith fire. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, won't he do it? Won't he do it? I want to finish this story of Anthony, church, because we prayed for him. We prayed over and over and over again. And every time the doctors told us it wasn't possible, we would believe for the impossible. And I remember just getting inches at a time. And I remember them saying, he will never be able to move again. And I remember us sitting next to Anthony. Anthony, if you hear me, squeeze my hand. And Anthony would squeeze my hand. And the doctors wouldn't believe that he squeezed our hand. And I'd be like, no, look, do it, do it. And he'd do it again. And the doctor's like, I don't know how it's happening. That's just reflex movement. That's not him doing 
doing something intentionally. It's just a reflex. It's an involuntary motion. I was like, it felt pretty voluntary to me. And then we get to a point where like, Anthony, shake my hand. And then Anthony would shake my hand. And they're like, that's just an involuntary movement. That's not coming from memory. And then I got to a point where I'm like, Anthony, give me a homie handshake. And Anthony goes back to Brooklyn with me. He started doing some gang sign handshakes with me that I'm pretty sure initiated me into the bloods of the Crips. I don't know what gang I'm in now, but I know that that is not an involuntary motion when we're shaking hands like this. Are you with me? And the doctor's like, I can't explain it, but somehow it's coming out. And I'm like, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. And then we keep on praying. And then Anthony's starting able to draw pictures and write words. And then he starts talking and he starts looking around and they're like, okay, he's talking, he's moving around. He's saying words, but he doesn't have any memory. And I'm like, you're so inconsistent. How can he say words if he has no memory? He obviously remembers the words. You are so delusional. And then we start talking to Anthony and ask him, who's that? He's like, that's Linda. Who's that? That's my mom. Who's that? That's Daniel. Who's that? I don't know. Never seen him before. You're right. You haven't. And all of a sudden, Anthony's memory is coming back. And they're like, this is crazy. But listen, Anthony is never going to be able to move around again. In two weeks after they said he'd never get out of bed, he's standing up under his own power. And two months after they said that he would never be able to leave the hospital, get off the machines, we're wheeling him out on a wheelchair. And six months from the time he left the hospital, I want to show you this video. We brought Anthony back to church and we rolled him up on stage. And Anthony, who was never supposed to be able to be conscious again, began to sing. Your baby boy would save our sons and daughters. Did you know your baby boy has come to make you new? Listen, I know he doesn't look like what he used to look like. I know his voice isn't what it used to be. I know that it is an ugly story at a beautiful gate, but I just want to let you know something this morning. This child who should have been a vegetable for the rest of his life is able to have a conversation. You can pick up the phone and text somebody. He remembers conversations that we had. He can sing a song again. And my God, we asked him for a miracle and the miracle we asked God for, God provided. Do miracles still happen today? You better believe they still happen today. Anthony is a testimony that miracles still happen today. I'm a testimony that miracles still happen today. And you're about to be a testimony that miracles still happen today. Can you give God a shout of praise in this house if you believe that miracles still happen? And I just want to ask if there's anybody in here this morning, the sound of my voice, you need a miracle. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the very first miracle you can ever experience is the fact that you are spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. And when you come to a relationship with Christ, you are given a new life. The old things are gone away. Everything becomes new. It's the first miracle. You didn't think that you were able to change until you met Jesus. Now all of a sudden you come into a relationship with Jesus and everything becomes new. Maybe you need a relationship with Jesus. That's miracle one. Maybe you're sitting in this room. You're like, I already have a relationship with Jesus, but I need another miracle. I need a miracle in another area of my life. God can show up for you.